Hey guys, I'm recording this here on April 5th. It's Sunday. Everyone's trying to survive the crisis. Quick note to you guys, we are moving. You know, you used to delay these episodes by, you know, four to eight months after we recorded them in terms of releasing them on the podcast. We've changed that. A lot of these interviews you're going to hear over the next many months are going to be ones we recorded only days prior. We think that's a smarter way to run the show. I've made the change. So expect more urgent information coming out. Secondly, I am getting destroyed on iTunes reviews by these people that say Nathan's rude, he's hard hitting, blah, 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 which by the way, I am. It's part of my style. It's what works. The problem is people that love that style never take the time to go leave a five-star review. So I only get one or five-star reviews on iTunes. And right now there's a streak of one-star reviews that is driving me crazy. It would mean the world to me, guys. If you're loving the show, you love how direct I am, you like the style, if you go leave a review on iTunes now, if you do that and tweet it to me, text it to me, email it to me, whatever you want. I'm going to reply with a very special surprise. I think a lot of you guys will really like it is heavy, heavy data oriented. All right. So I appreciate that. Thanks guys. Enjoy the show. Runs an agency or recruiting agency, wanted to essentially replace himself, built Refer Gig to help you make your employees essentially your best recruiting engine. They bootstrapped the company. He's put about 30, 40 grand of his own money in. Him and his partner own 50% each. There are about five customers right now paying 400 bucks a month, so two grand a month. Early on, we'll see if they go all in or not over the next 12 months. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Scott Weiss. He is the founder of Refer a Gig and president of McKenna Partners, a technology recruiting firm. Both companies are based in Seattle, Washington. Scott, you ready to take us to the top? I sure am. All right. So which one are you spending more time on, the recruiting firm or refer gig? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about my recruiting background, which kind of informed the product that is refer a gig. So okay. uh, we'll talk a little bit about both. Let me, so let me get your background. Let, let me get the company first and then we'll build into your background. So tell us what refer gig does and what's the business model? How do you make money? Okay. So refer a gig is essentially a candidate referral engine for companies that want to continue to develop out their employee referral program. So uh, most people in talent acquisition know that referrals are usually the best source of hire. So our technology allows companies to kind of turbocharge those efforts and streamline the way that they uh, source out their referrals from employees, manage them, and um, make that their number one source of hire. Okay, so just to be clear, this is like they'll they'll say, "Hey guys, there's a thousand dollar bonus if you if you refer a friend. We hire them and they stay with us for six months. You'll essentially help employees track their referred candidates and see if hires get made and then see when they get payouts." Exactly. So you know, employee referral programs have existed as long as companies have hired people, uh, but up until about maybe ten years ago, eight years ago, it was more just kind of conceptual. You know, we have a referral program. Here's what we'll pay you. You'd have managers reminding their staff. And um, as social networks have grown in popularity and employees have expanded their networks through uh, LinkedIn, most commonly, um, it's it became apparent that there was an opportunity to build out a, a dedicated application for that purpose. And we are one of a handful of vendors in that kind of niche space right now. Yep. So what's your pricing model? I assume it's SaaS. What, are they, what do people pay you on average it's a per SaaS. month? Yeah. So on average per month, it'll go anywhere from $200 a month for a real small business up to you know, $1,000, $1,500 a month for a larger size company. Uh, there's some integration work that has to go on behind the scenes. Uh, we kind of uh, live as a layer on top of the company's applicant tracking system. So generally, we'll price out an initial kind of scope of work around the integration and the setup. And then we roll into a, a monthly licensing model. Okay, but just to be clear, your, your average, you'd say, is about 200 bucks a month once they're on just the pure SaaS side? Now, I'd say it's a little bit higher than that. Um, we offer a lower 
price point for the smaller businesses that maybe don't even run an applicant tracking system. Maybe they've got, you know, that makes sense. I I totally get the product. I'm just trying to get your current average is what, so it's maybe like 400 bucks, 500 bucks. Yeah, that's, I would say that's a good number. Okay. Interesting. And then put this on a timeline for us. When did you launch the company? Well, I started it, I kind of spun it out of my recruiting company about five years ago, kind of had the idea that I wanted to diversify and there seemed like an opportunity here to uh, kind of productize this thing I had in my mind. Um, So about five years ago, what I did as a non-engineer, non-technical person is kind of uh, scoped out what I wanted out of the product, um, hired uh, some folks through one of these online freelancer marketplaces to build me a you know, minimum viable product. I got that out, uh, found a customer who at that time was a quite large customer. They kind of looked at what I had and said, we can use this, uh, but are you willing to make some customizations? And so I said, sure, you know, if you're willing to pay me, yes. Um, So from there, I kind of relied on freelancers to support that customer. And it was a very challenging way to do a startup and uh, got to a point where I said, look, I'm I'm just throwing money at freelancers. I don't really have a way to build and how grow much, the roadmap. Scott, how much did you put into the company yourself? Uh, all said and done, probably we got it started. I was probably about thirty dollars or $40,000 in of my okay. own money. And have you bootstrapped since then or have you raised capital? No capital raised. So okay. what I did was I made a decision that the only way that I could scale this was to uh, you know, find a co-founder. And I got very lucky that someone I had known for a few years, it's a very talented software engineer, was himself looking for a project outside of his regular engineering gig. And so about two and a half years ago, him and I partnered up and uh, he came on board 50-50. We completely rebuilt the product from the ground up and having him has made it, you know, something that we can actually start to grow. Are you two the only ones on the cap table? Doing it myself with uh, freelancers. Uh, it just, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Maybe to get started and Scott, got something. Scott, are but... you and your co-founder the only two on the cap table today? Yeah, it's just the two of us. Okay. That's right. 100% and, bootstrap. And how many customers have you scaled to today? Right now, we're still very small. Um, we're about five or six paying customers. Uh, we've got a pipeline, uh, but I want to make it very clear to your listeners that um, we are doing this as a kind of a side thing. Um, I've still got my recruiting firm. That's my primary source of income. And my co-founder has his regular gig uh, doing engineering for a, a, a company. So, so what incentive is there not- for you guys to see this thing succeed, though? You have safety nets. Why, why does this have to succeed? It doesn't have to succeed, so it's not. Exactly. So it's sort of this double-edged sword, right, where we enjoy working on it because there's no real pressure. Um, for, for the two of us, it's something that allows us to collaborate together, be creative, uh, generate some additional money. And we're taking a very... Uh, sort of organic kind of long, long road approach to it, as opposed to the scale quick, scale fast. Um, Wait, Scott, this just to be clear, this is really slow. I mean, this is between 2013 to today, you're now doing about $2,000 a month and five customers. I mean, I get the whole slow growth thing, but that's like a different level. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 I would call it a side hustle more than anything else right now. And um, this is a conversation him and I have had many, many times, which is, you know, do you have to go all in for it to succeed? And I guess ultimately the answer to that is it depends on what your goals are. 
Yeah. Look, it's human nature where if, if your agency is making you something comfortable, let's say you're making personally 200 grand a year from your agency and he has a full-time job as a developer making 200 grand a year. You just have, if you're comfortable there, you have zero incentive to see this thing work. So sometimes when people know that about themselves, they have to remove that incentive to see the startup work, even if short-term it means less revenue, but long-term it's going to mean more freedom. Yeah. And I think what people tend to focus on is what they hear and read about in the media in terms of what a startup has to be. And uh, most people's idea of a startup is bootstrap it, go out and raise money, turbocharge the thing, build it up, look for an exit. And certainly that's a desirable outcome. But there are lots of other types of startups that exist where, you know, you could build a product and put a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars cash in your pocket and it's something that you just do for fun. Um, now, on the flip side of that, technology is constantly changing. So when you look at the companies that are in our space that have raised money, um, they're innovating at a much uh, faster rate than us. Uh, we do lose customers to them because in many cases, we can't keep up with their uh, development cycles. So uh, it's a risk reward ratio. But in our case, uh, there's really no other option. We're not ready to go out and try to convince uh, angels or VCs to give us money. We both don't want to walk away from what we have right now. So it's allowing us to kind of see this thing through and see where it goes. And you don't want to go. And you I don't want to go all in. Well, it's not that we don't want to go all in. There just hasn't been a, a business case to do it. Um, we're still trying to understand what the market opportunity looks like. Uh, yeah, but you know, in. Scott, because there, there are literally there are hundreds of millions of dollars going into the space right now. I mean, you know, for a fact that timing is right and timing is half of a business, but you're still choosing not to go all in. Well, and by I the way, all in, I don't mean raising capital, by the way. Yeah. So all in for me would be like an all in for my partner would be he gives up his job. I stop focusing on my you know recruiting business. And, uh, and now we're just sitting in an office together trying to scramble to figure out how do we go get 10, 20, 30, 50 customers uh, with just the two of us. And I don't yeah. think that's, a, in our mind, I don't know if that's something that's as attractive. I mean, him and I are both at a later stage of our life. You know, we're not in our 20s. Um, we both have families to support. So our reality looks yeah, But Scott, come on, dude. Yeah. You're like, you're not like 70 years old. I mean, there are tons of huge success stories of people in their 40s and even early 50s launching companies. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, I guess for us, the question is, uh, why don't we do that? Um, I, we haven't found, I, I think the honest answer is we're still trying to understand the product market opportunity. Um, we know that there's interest in this space. There's a few different angles that different vendors are hitting it from. And we're trying to figure out where we fit in. And it's it's a long road. Um, but you know, in the meantime, it's it's profitable in the sense that the only expense we have is our time, which is not that much, given that we have a small uh, customer base right now. Well, yeah, you're not you're not putting much into it. I mean, that that makes total sense. Um, so so just to be clear, it's just you two right now, f- kind of part time. No engine, no, no no one else. Just the two of us. He does all the code. Um, I do all the sales and marketing. I've got HubSpot running. Both in I Seattle. It's coming in. Both in Seattle. Yep. We you know we probably meet once or twice a week and sit down and talk about what's going on with our customers, what's going on with the pipeline. Um, and, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, if, if, you're, if your audience are mostly comprised of folks that are entrepreneurial in the sense that they want to build a startup, they want to be successful, um, I firmly believe that focus is everything. And you know, if you're doing two things, you're going to be 50% good at both, not 100% good at one. And I, and I subscribe to that theory. At the same time, reality is reality. And um, 
you know, you have to look at your unique situation and say, what can I realistically do? Um, and right now, that's what we're doing. So everybody's situation is different. Yeah, but modeling opportunity cost is virtually impossible. It's very difficult for humans to do. And so like what I see, I, I've only known you for about, what is this, 10 minutes and 34 seconds, right? But most people, like it's like this coffee mug I'm holding, their glass is full of water. Your agency has your glass full. You can't put anything else in there until you pour water out. You can't add stuff see how you like the new water and then decide like it's not going to stay around. So like the thing you, you have is you don't actually know how to, it's hard to quantify the opportunity cost of what would happen if you went all in and you're too scared to take the leap basically. Cause you're very comfortable right now. You have a lot of success on your agency. I, I agree with you hundred um, percent. I don't know if it's necessary that we're scared. It's just that there isn't, I think you have to kind of read your intuition. You have to read the signals you're getting from the market. And there's no doubt in my mind as an entrepreneur, if I saw that in this opportunity that there was dollars and there was opportunity for us to capture, I would take that risk. No, but Scott, you know there are. You know there are because companies wouldn't be raising at billion dollar valuations in this, literally this exact space if it wasn't a massive opportunity. It is a massive opportunity, but you're, you're just, you're missing the software play because you have a great agency you're building. Yeah. And I mean, my agency is comfortable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're blowing it up on that side either. So there isn't, there is incentive for me to try to figure out how can we strategically blow this thing up? I'll be honest with you. The prospect of building out a slide deck and chasing after money from investors is not very attractive to me. Um, why do you, why is that your default? Why is that? See, I don't understand. People just assume like that's the only way to build a business. And it's not. I mean, I would say seven out of 10 founders I interview, we've done 3000 interviews. Do not do that. They, they hustle, they bootstrap. They, you, by the way, you have an asset that the most successful SaaS CEOs have, which is they start off as an agency operating in the world that they build within a software platform for you have that exact makeup, but where people get stuck here, the ones that separate the Ryan Holmes from Hootsuite, who goes on to build a, you know, probably going to sell Hootsuite for 750 million bucks here soon. He, he shut down his agency when he was doing 5 million bucks in revenue to go and force himself to be uncomfortable and go all in on Hootsuite. But if people don't cut themselves off, there's, t- I mean, I can list dozens where they have like a million dollar agency and like a 10 grand a month, like side SaaS business. I mean, this is like a very typical pattern. Absolutely. And I do have all the resources in place. I've got an engineer who is extremely talented. He's probably can carry the weight of five engineers given his experience. So we don't have an issue there so much. I think it does come down to a sales and marketing uh, function. And for me, you're right. I'm spending probably 95% of my time selling my agency business, which is where I generate 95% of my income. Yeah. Should I start to shift that focus over uh, to the refer gig product, I think that it would open up opportunity. And then as the sales opportunities present themselves, the engineering kind of follows that. And then from there, you just scale it up. So I don't disagree with you. Um, well, I'm rooting for you. You know, my, my bias is always push people off the edge, right? I just want you to know, like, we've done 3,000 of these things. So I like to think I have pretty dang good pattern recognition. You have all the elements in the bowl. You just have to start stirring. Like, I just want you to know that you you have all the perfect elements. The other flip so side, talk, let, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say all the right. flip side to like what you're doing are there is a high, is a college grad that says, um, I don't really know how the recruiting works, but I see billions being raised here. Let me try and build a software platform. See, you have the right angle, which is you're in the space. You're doing the manual labor of recruiting via an agency right now. And you know, so you know all the problems to solve in the software. Yeah, I think the way I would look at it is it's sort of like we've got the kitchen. We've got all the ingredients set up right there for us to make the meal. 
and we're kind of looking at it going, do we want to make this meal or not? You know, and what's our incentive? We're, we're already being fed, right? So yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. You got to take your food, challenge- you have to take your food away. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a risky proposition for a, a father of three with a stay at home, you know, spouse who I have to provide for. So totally. But um, how horrible would it be for your, your kids to hear this in a decade and, and that you use them and your wife as an excuse not to take the risk? Well, what if the, what if the, what if I'm not willing to take the risk because I'm not a hundred percent convinced that there's an opportunity as big as maybe you think, or, or, or potentially there may be, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute you know, a founder has to have that almost fervent religious belief in what they're doing uh, to be able to do these things. You can't fake it, right? That has to come from the inside out. And so what if you're a founder who thinks you have something, but, um, and as you've mentioned, yeah, there's companies raising a lot of money, but I've talked to a lot of companies that are potential buyers of these uh, types of tools. And there is a lot of, uh, you know, there is a lot of kind of kicking the tires out there and so what if you're still not convinced yet that the market opportunity is as big as you would like it to be and you're the founder? If if data was perfect and the world knew that this exact tool, if you build it, it was a billion dollar tool, everyone would do it. And and the competition would erode all profits. Right. The, the mere function of what you just described will never exist because if it if perfect data existed and a perfect plan existed, everyone would do it and erode profits. So you have to have... You have to discover some problem in the agency that you don't think anyone else is hitting yet, that you think is a better mousetrap than all these other SaaS recruiting platforms and go all in on it. That's actually the, and you don't know how big that market might be. You just know you found a problem that no one else is solving and you solve it and then boom, before you know it, you got a great business. Yeah. And I want to make sure that your uh, listeners understand as they probably already do, but I want to reiterate to them the value of early adopters, right? Because in any space you're chasing after that's sort of new, uh, there's going to be a small percentage of prospective customers that get it early and are, are, are the kinds of companies or buyers that are willing to adopt new technologies and new tools. And they will become your best advocates. They will become your sales force. So um, I really encourage, and we've seen that uh, here on our side. So I would really encourage anybody that's getting started with anything to do the research and figure out which are the companies out there that are going to be willing to try this and avoid spending too much time with the ones that are, are probably not as likely because the majority of the pack will follow. Uh, but there's very few that will initiate as early adopters. And I think find a couple of those and you're good to go. And it's funny because, you know, I scheduled this call with you and my understanding was that I was going to try to convey value to you, but I feel like it's almost been reversed and you're sort of consulting with me here and it's almost worthy of a follow-up and see where we are in a year based on some of this information you're passing over to me. We are happy to have you back on. Look, I just enjoy these kinds of conversations. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. It's a good conversation. gets people thinking. So yeah, (laughs) I mean, look, (coughs) a lot of people listen to the show. They'll be listening to this guys. You know, I don't know how the hell you'd actually communicate with me, but you know, we're both active on Twitter and channels and iTunes reviews. You can give feedback to both to both Scott and I. We continue the dialogue. Scott, have you back on in a year? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think the other challenging thing you have right now is you're spending time educating your agency clients that their needs can be solved with software. Because of your tight relationship, you're selling them on your own software. But after you did all the hard work of educating them on the market, and then they realize once they start doing more research, there's other tools that do the same thing, but more after you own the relationship and then they churn for me, which is like the worst because you're taking the burden of educating your your friends, right? And then they're switching from you. So I just, look, 
we'll see what happens in a year. I hope you guys build up the software. It's a hot space. But again, you have to have a, a mousetrap you think you can solve that's better than anybody else. Yeah. And, and I'll make one more point. Um, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners are aware of what the recruiting agency space looks like, but we generate a lot of income on the agency side by essentially headhunting candidates for companies. So companies looking to hire a senior software engineer, uh, these people are really hard to find. We find them using LinkedIn or whatever networking we have set up. We bring the candidate over to the company. They pay us a fee, a percentage of that. Yeah, what is it? Thirty percent, right? Something like that. It ranges between twenty and thirty percent. So that's a lot of money, right? That's you know anywhere from twenty-five to fifty grand cash. I mean, there's no expense to it because uh, there's no cost of goods other than time and maybe whatever I'm paying for LinkedIn recruiter. Uh, and so essentially, when I built Refer Gig, it was to almost automate what it is I'm doing because essentially all I'm doing is providing access to candidates that these companies otherwise wouldn't have had. And so the concept behind Refer Gig is to take what I'm doing from the agency side and put it in the hands of uh, of these companies' employees, make them the recruiters, train your employees to do what I'm doing, pay them the referral bonus instead of me. Yes, yeah, so um, so by the way, I, we totally get the product. By the way, I, everyone will understand the product. Crystal clear. Yeah, and, I, and my point in just giving you that little summary is to uh, to mention that, that that it's sort of an ironic thing because essentially what I'm trying to do is replace myself with the software, but yet here I am not really willing to go all in with that. And so I think it's a good cliffhanger for your listeners, and I would encourage any of them to comment because I think this is an interesting conversation, and I think it's something a lot of founders think about. I read an article the other day about kind of the new startup and how more and more startup founders are avoiding taking on VC because uh, there's all kinds of new financing options coming available. So everybody's looking at the way you do a startup isn't necessarily what you've read about in TechCrunch all these years. There's lots of different ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. But but ignoring whether you bootstrap or fundraise, ignore that for a second. Like the question you're at is like, are you going to go all in or not? It, it, and all in does not mean raise capital. It just means are you going to put all your time into it? So we'll leave that as the cliffhanger. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Favorite business book? Should I say The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump? Yeah, that's fine with me. Number two, is there a CEO, <laughs> is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, you know, you can't avoid Jeff Bezos when you're... No. So Number three, what's your, tuned into everything what's your favorite online tool to build the company? Uh, I'm a big fan of Smartsheet, uh, Seattle company for collaboration. I uh, highly recommend you guys check it out if you don't already use it. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Huh. Depends on the night, but uh, if I can get six or seven, I'm happy. And what's your situation? Married, single? I know you have kids. Married, three kids. Can't you tell by the bags under my eyes? <laughs> All right, three kids. And how old are you? Uh, well, I'm 42. Okay, 42. And, and what do you wish you Last question. What do you wish you knew when you were 20? That talent is grossly overrated and that uh, perseverance, hard work, passion, commitment, belief in yourself far outweighs talent. Guys, talent is overrated, runs an agency or recruiting agency, wanted to essentially replace himself, built Refer Gig to help you make your employees essentially your best recruiting engine. They bootstrapped the company. He's put about 30, 40 grand of his own money in. Him and his partner own 50% each. There are about five customers right now paying 400 bucks a month, so two grand a month early on. We'll see if they go all in or not over the next 12 months. We'll have him back on. Scott, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks for your time. Take care, guys.